This podcast is a ministry of United Baptist Church in Valdez, North Carolina. We're glad you're here to listen as Pastor Steve Matthews teaches from the Bible. We would love it if you would worship with us in Valdez at 2638 Messer Road. We gather at 9.45 a.m. for Sunday school and 11 a.m. for a worship service. We also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesdays to study God's Word. Thank you for listening today. It's a sermon Stephen preached, and the, the really great thing about it from our perspective is that it gives us this, this broad historical view of what God's been doing and how it, it leads up to Christ. So they accused him of two things. He, he spoke against God and the law, which is really vague and broad. And then also he said that uh, he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days, echoing something said by Jesus where he said that he would lay down his, his life, his, his body, and then take it up again in three days. So in Acts 7 verse 1, the high priest asked, are these things so? Um, are these accusations against you true? How do you plead? And he gives them an opportunity to speak. And so Stephen preaches this seven-part sermon, which we probably won't get all the way through tonight because it's long and we don't want to we don't want to rush it. We, we, we want to really hear what he has to say. And so we'll see how far we get, and then the rest we'll pick up uh, when we come back to Acts in a few weeks. So here's the response he gives, starting in verse 2. Brethren and fathers, he takes a respectful tone to these men. Listen, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and he lived in Haran. And from there when his father was dead, he moved him, that, that is God moved him, to this land in which you now live, to, to Palestine, to Israel, and God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God, and after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and he begot the twelve patriarchs. So he goes back to the history, starting with Abraham, and he recounts for them the history very briefly from Abraham to the 12 tribes. And here's what he focuses on. The call of God to Abraham was twofold, and that was to leave his family and his land, and then to go to the land that God would promise. There's a, a call of Abraham requiring a response, two responses. One is to leave, and he went to Haran, and then the other is to go on to Israel, to Palestine. 
And Abraham responds with faithfulness. Abraham believed God and it's accounted to him for righteousness. And so he, he responds to God's call. And in response, God makes a promise. He got no inheritance in his lifetime. He, he didn't receive enough to put his foot on. When Abraham died, the only property that he owned was the tomb in which he buried Sarah and then in which he was buried and his sons were buried. The only property he could really call his own was that. And then um, there's this promise Abraham would have a son, and, and that was Isaac. He, he tried it his way with um, Ishmael, as we heard very well about on Sunday. But the promise was that Abraham's descendants would possess that land, but first they would be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. This was, was, it was warned, it was predicted in advance. God would then judge the oppressors and bring them back to the land. Now we know that was Egypt and we saw how that happened. And Stephen's about to tell us how that happened. And he says, the sign of all of this is circumcision. That is, that's the external symbol of the internal covenant that God would make with Abraham. This is nothing new to his audience. His audience are Old Testament Jewish scholars. They, they're nodding along. They're listening for error, but they get this. His point is to, to build them up. There's nothing he said so far which should offend any of them. So he's bringing them along to, to Christ by beginning with Abraham. And then in the, the second phase of the sermon... He goes from um, famine in Egypt, how God is saving Israel. Okay, so pick up with me in, in verse 9. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. The ten brothers, because remember, how many were there? Twelve. But the youngest was a baby, Benjamin. He, he wasn't involved in this. So the ten sold him into slavery, assuming that he would die. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who made him governor over Egypt and all his house. You know, a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. And our fathers found no food. They're, they're, they're starving. So remember, they went down to Egypt to buy food because they heard there was food. And, but when Jacob heard there was food in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And then Joseph was made known to his brothers, and his family became known to Pharaoh. He sent and he called his father... Father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died. He and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid into the tomb that Abraham bought for a, 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 the sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Again, this is history to the Jews, but it's, it's bringing... The Sanhedrin is bringing his audience up to Christ. 
So we see Joseph sold into slavery in Egypt. But God was in it. It looked like a really evil thing, and indeed it was, but, but God was preparing the way to deliver Israel because that's what God does. All along, God has protected and preserved Israel for the purpose of, of using Israel to bring the Messiah to the world. And the man who had been down in the pit and then brought out and sold is now elevated. Look at the symbolism there of Christ where he, he goes down into the tomb and then he's elevated as he ascends into heaven. How he was prepared beforehand for the salvation of Israel. So when we see Jesus, it's not hard to see him here in Joseph's story. And he's the one who, who saves Israel. He, he's got food. He's got um, what they need in order to make it and to survive. And so he is, he is the provider of what they need but there's always a link back to Israel. There's a link back to Shechem. So he goes back um, and he buries his father there. Now this is where, and, and again, they're just nodding along. There's nothing new here. There's nothing for them to get angry about. It's just history. But then he brings Moses into it because he, he was accused of slandering Moses. And Moses, after Abraham, he's their most significant historical figure. He's the lawgiver. So watch what he does here. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, they're going to be in bondage 400 years, but then I'm going to bring them out. When that time grew near, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. God's building a nation. Till another king arose who didn't know Joseph, he dealt evilly with our people and oppressed our fathers, making them expose their babies so that they may not live. Now watch this. When Moses was born, the young Hebrew baby boys were being killed. What was going on when Jesus was born? The very same thing. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God and was brought up in his father's house for three months. That's as long as they could hide him. But babies aren't quiet, and mom's got to go to work, and we can't hide him anymore. So you know the, the events here. She puts him in a basket, and she sends him out onto the river, and no woman alive is going to let a basket just float right by. Ladies love baskets. They're like, grab that basket for me. Oh, it's got a baby in it. He's really cute. And so the daughter of the... The Pharaoh adopts him as her own. He was brought up in his father's house, but when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son, raised as a prince in the, in the palace of Egypt. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was mighty in words and deeds. God is, is preparing him to save Israel. He was brought up as a, as a prince in preparation perhaps to become a king, certainly to become an, a, a statesman in Egypt. He's educated. He knows the ways of war. He knows the ways of politics. The Lord is preparing a savior. Now, when he was 40 years old, 
And you're, you're going to notice what Stephen understands and what we know is that the, the segments of the life of Moses are broken into 40-year segments. So he's 40 years old, a grown man. It came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now, how do we believe it came into his heart? The Lord's prompting. The Lord had prepared him, and now he's, he's prompting him to care about his brethren. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. He killed a man to save a Hebrew slave. He supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. Catch this. Moses is realizing God is preparing him to save Israel, according to Stephen, but the Jews don't understand that Moses is going to be their Savior. Can we pick that idea up and carry it over to their experience with Jesus Christ? Very well, yes. So the Jews not understanding is going to be a theme with Moses who bring it back with the prophets and with the temple. So he sees two of them and they're fighting. And he says, men, you're, you're brethren. Why do you wrong one another? And they look at him and say, who do you think you are? Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? Oh, yeah, Moses, we know all about that. Word has spread. Then at this, Moses fled, and he lived in Midian where he had two sons. And we know from Exodus that he lived there 40 years. And at the end of that, he was the shepherd for his father-in-law at 80 years of age. He began, he began to, to, to do something for the Jews and the work was cut short, humanly speaking, because word got out he killed a man and he had to leave Egypt. Little did he know God was still preparing him. He's raised in a palace and then he goes to the wilderness 40 years. Well, he's going to do some wilderness wandering, so that's pretty good preparation. And then God gets a hold of him. When 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a fire, in a bush, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And when he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord spoke to him. Now, he's been wandering in the wilderness 40 years watching sheep, and he's never seen a bush just burning and yet not burned up. So he stops to take a look, and God speaks, and he says, I'm the God of your fathers the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, what Stephen doesn't bring out here, but what we know is that when, when Moses was found by the, the daughter of the, the Pharaoh, and she said, oh, it's, a, it's a beautiful little Hebrew boy. I think I'll, I'll keep him. Moses had what every young man needs, a big sister looking out for him. And she ran over and said, excuse me, I just happen to know a Hebrew wet nurse who, who, who can nurse this baby for you. And she said, oh, good, bring her over. And so is Moses' mother. And she got to nurse him, to raise him uh, for a long while. So Moses would have had, even though he was raised in the Pharaoh's household, he's had exposure to the Hebrew people. His mother did get to raise him in just a really beautiful, 
um, providential turn of events, God allowed her to influence him. So when God speaks and he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses knows exactly who he's talking about. He trembled. He, he dared not look. He averted his eyes. So the, the Lord speaks and he says, you take your sandals off your feet for this is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their groaning. I've come down to deliver them as he promised. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Okay? And again, he's, he's shortening the whole thing where Moses says, no, you got the wrong guy. I'm, I'm not a good speaker. Uh, I'm 80. I'm wanted for murder, and they're not going to listen to me, and whom shall I say? And, and all of that, he shortens all of that because his, his audience understands it. But watch this. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He's, he's getting to Jesus. And he's doing it by way of Moses. They re, the Jews rejected Moses, but he was their deliverer. The Jews reject Christ, and he is their Savior. That's where Stephen's going with this. He brought them out after he had shown them wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. Catch the verbiage there. Because the apostles have been doing what? Signs and wonders. Acts 6, Stephen is doing what? Signs and wonders. So he says, the history of Moses is the Jews didn't understand that he was going to save them even though he did signs and wonders. And here I am before the Sanhedrin preaching Jesus who did signs and wonders and my preaching is validated by signs and wonders just like Moses. That's, that's the point he's making. Now I think they're starting to get it because the more he talks, the angrier they get. This is the Moses, verse 37. They're not going to like this one. This is the Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Okay? The Moses who was rejected by Israel, who did signs and wonders, said another prophet will come and you need to listen to him. A prophet like me. And so we've got all these ways Jesus is like Moses and so I think they caught the message clearly. Um, God's going to raise a prophet up like me, and you, you need to hear him. And of course, the whole point is that they have refused to hear Jesus. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers. The one who received the living oracles to give to us. That is, he got the law from God on the mountain. Whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. As these men have done with Christ. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. It'd be better to be back in Egypt. And they said to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. They, they can't even wait for the law. And they made a calf in, in those days 
offered sacrifices to the idols and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Okay, And we know the story. Aaron says, I dumped the gold into the fire and this calf rolled out. And everybody just started worshiping it and I don't even know what's happening. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were rejecting the God who was delivering them. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. Well, worship whoever you want because you're going to get judgment. As it is written in the prophets, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Rimphan, images which you made to worship. Sure, you offered to me, but you loved idols too. It wasn't enough just to say you belonged to me. Your heart was also for idols. And I'll carry you away beyond Babylon. And that's exactly what happened. And the Jews who are meeting to try him are under the authority of the Romans. They don't have a Jewish king. They've got an emperor, a Caesar. And before that, they were under the authority of the Greeks. And before that, it was the Medo-Persians. And before that, it was the Babylonians. And it's been years and years and years since a Jewish king has ruled over Israel. So when he brings it out, he says, the reason we are where we are is because our fathers worshipped idols and didn't worship the God who brought them out of Egypt. The charge was that he, he blasphemed the temple. And actually, we're moving along pretty well, and we, we may make it. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, God appointed, instructing for Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our, our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land, possessed by the... The Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a home for the God of Jacob, but Solomon built him a house. So the, the temple they're so proud of, built by Solomon, prepared by David, it's the, the, the conclusion to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent city, and they carried it around everywhere they went, uh, all through their um, experience in the wilderness and then into the land. And it, it lasted a very long time, but it was, it was shabby and it was old by the time that, that they wanted to build God a permanent house. Now here's what they knew. Sitting in the temple, the temple Solomon built was destroyed by the Babylonians. The temple was rebuilt by Zerubbabel 70 years after that. And there were elderly people there who saw it and they wept because they had seen Solomon's temple. And this little shed they built was nothing to compare to that. But it was all that they could build. And then the building they're standing in had been rebuilt by Herod before the birth of Christ. Rebuilt with Roman funds by a half-Jewish Roman puppet king. 
So the temple they're so proud of was never part of the original work of God, and it's not the one that Solomon built, and it's certainly not the tabernacle. Okay? However, he says the Most High doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. You get so excited about the building that we're in, but God doesn't live here. Heaven is my... Earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where do I rest? Has my hand not made all these things? What are you going to give me that I didn't already make? What are you going to build my house out of that I didn't make to begin with? The accusation is that he blasphemed the temple and his point is that the temple is not a holy thing and that the temple therein is not even appointed by God the way the tabernacle had been. Well, every sermon requires a good conclusion. When I went to, to school, they said you preach and then at the end you personalize it and drive it home and call for a verdict. The verdict starts in verse 51. Personal application. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. He's making it personal for his audience. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers. You're just like your fathers. They, they abused the prophets and you've abused Jesus. He's arrived, you betrayed him, and you murdered him. You who received the law <coughs> excuse me, from angels and haven't kept it. He makes it personal. When he says stiff-necked, I want you to imagine someone haughty and high who can't look down. Arrogant. Children do this when they're arrogant and angry. That head pops up. Mm. It's a natural human thing. And when, when you can't nod in agreement with somebody else, you're stiff-necked. He says, that's what you are. And uncircumcised in heart and ears. You've got the covenant of God, but the covenant's not in your heart. And, and you, you're not listening to God. I'm telling you all these, all these things that, that use Moses to point to Christ, and you're not listening. He says, you, you murdered him. You betrayed him. Now, every sermon should push for a response, and he gets a response. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Good. That's conviction, right? God is convicting them of sin, but rather than repent, they gnashed at him with their teeth. They are just raging. They're so angry they can't see straight. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. All they see is red. They, just, they see that someone would dare to defy their power. He sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Look at the difference. They're raging, and he's got this peace of the Holy Spirit. He has the face of an angel, according to Acts 6. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I said, look. I see the heavens open to the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's, he's showing them that he sees Christ. He sees Messiah. God has opened heaven. And they cried out loudly. Stop their ears. They, 
Won't even, they're too holy to listen to, to blasphemy like that. Ran at him with one accord. These are the, the elderly, distinguished gentlemen scholars of Israel, and they're just raging. And they personally run at him, lashing, tearing, hitting. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They, they drag him out of the gates and they beat him to death with rocks. Just savage. These are the people who should be, be using reason, to reason from Scripture, looking out for the spiritual well-being of all of Israel, and they've turned into savage animals. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, remember in Acts 6, they got false witnesses to say he said this or that. Well, according to the law, if you're going to stone somebody, the witnesses have to cast the first stone. That's why in John 8, when they brought him the, uh, the woman, only her, by the way, interesting, they found in adultery in the very act, and they wanted to stone her. And he said, well, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. In other words, if you're holy and a witness of her evil, start this thing off because the law required it. You, if you're going to bear witness against somebody and the result is death, then you're all in. You have to start it. So the witnesses who started it took their 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 coats off and they laid them at Saul's feet so they wouldn't get splattered with Stephen's blood. That's what this is. It's a savage, brutal scene. But re remember how we, we saw Barnabas introduced and then we haven't heard from him again. It's a teaser. We're going to meet up with him. He was bringing the... Uh, the money from the sale of his property to the apostles to feed the widows. That's, that's all we know about him yet. Saul appears here. And all we know about him is that he is all in for killing Stephen. He's not a witness. He didn't lie about him. He didn't cast a stone at him. Here, brother, let me hold that for you so it doesn't get all splattered while you beat an innocent man to death for his witness to his faith. That's Paul. He's a terrorist. He's a brutal, savage human being. Saul here, excuse me. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God. E even as he's praying, they're stoning him. And here's how he prays. And would that we could pray like this. Je Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knows the time has come that, that he's going to lay down his life for the gospel and, and, it, and it's even happening now. And, it, and in the, the pain and the anger and the fear, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice. Now a minute ago, they cried out with a loud voice in rage and anger against him. And now he, is, he cries out to God, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. They cry out in anger, and he cries out for grace. Do you see the difference there? Now, where did Stephen learn that? Who's the last person we saw who is being murdered and says, Lord, don't hold this against them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's Jesus Christ. And so Stephen gets it. He's, he's got the spirit of Christ here, and even as he's being... He's being murdered, being martyred, 
He's imitating Jesus. Don't charge them with this sin. They, they know not what they do. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That is, he died. Well, we did make it. Even though it was a long sermon he preached. Um, now, to, to wrap it up here, we'll go back in our minds to Acts 1.8. You shall receive power after the, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in... Good, and... To Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, moving outward in a circle. The death of Stephen is going to be the catalyst for moving out into Judea. Because now that the Sanhedrin got away with this, they're going to turn the heat up and people are going to scatter. And the gospel witness is going to scatter with them, and we're going to see that in weeks ahead. So with all of that, I'll ask, do we have any questions? Hearing none, will you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that Stephen is able to begin with Abraham and go all the way through the temple and point us to Christ because the story holds together. Because what you're doing in Jesus, you were doing from the beginning. And your purpose has always been to save those who would call upon you. We thank you for that. We pray that you help us to meditate and to reflect on how you, how you were at work with Abraham, with Moses, even in their bondage in Egypt, you were working to save. And that's still your business today. And I pray that we who are religious people would never fall into the snare we see here. Where when we're cut to the heart, we're too stiff-necked to repent. But God, would you, would you give us a spirit of humility and a spirit of obedience to your word and to your spirit? that we, we would never be so sure that we're right because we're, we're faithful people that you can't call us to repentance. And Father, I pray that if we ever find our, our, ourselves wronged by the world around us for what we believe, help us to remember that, that when they were murdering Stephen, he showed grace. And most of us will never experience anything close to that. So, Lord, surely we can show grace too. Would you make that so in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast is a ministry of United Baptist Church in Valdez, North Carolina. We're glad you're here to listen as Pastor Steve Matthews teaches from the Bible. We would love it if you would worship with us in Valdez at 2638 Messer Road. We gather at 9.45 a.m. for Sunday school and 11 a.m. for a worship service. We also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesdays to study God's Word. Thank you for listening today.